Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome to a special Bleeding Green Nation podcast. I am your host, Michael Kist. What we've done is we've assembled the top SB Nation writers for the Cowboys, Giants, and Redskins to give a quick preview on what their teams look like offensively, defensively, and overall, plus their predictions on where their respective teams land in the final 2018 NFC East standings. We've got RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys, Ed Valentine from Big Blue View, and Ken Marangolo from Hoghaven, all to give their takes in this SB Nation NFC East Supercast. Remember, next up, we've got BGN Radio previewing the Eagles and Falcons Week 1 action, plus another Kist and Solak show that will dig into all the nerdy details of that matchup. And if you missed it on Monday, me and Ben did a show dedicated to predicting over-unders for the Eagles this season, and we've also got you caught up on all the roster moves. And hey, New Fireside Chats is out. I talk defensive back play with Eric Crocker from 4th and 9, so make sure you give that a listen. But right now, we're going to get this SB Nation NFC East Supercast underway. Let's do it. And joining me now is RJ Ochoa. He is the managing editor for Blogging the Boys, the SB Nation Dallas Cowboys site. He is host of Ochoa Live, and he is the co-host of the Saturday Morning Hangover on ESPN San Antonio. RJ, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Happy football season. Absolutely, man. It's the time of year. I can't wait. So we'll get right into it with the Dallas Cowboys here, kind of give the state of the union on the Cowboys. The first thing, obviously, everything runs through the quarterback. Dak Prescott is coming off of a down year in his sophomore year, had a bit of a sophomore slump. There were obviously different circumstances around that that may have caused that, had an impact on it after his amazing rookie season. How do you see the offense working this year? Have they given Dak enough weapons around him for him to see a significant uh, step back up in the right direction? Well, obviously, it's pretty difficult to surmise that he'd be successful with with no Des Bryant and no Jason Witten, but... I really feel like those are, and this is such a cliche, but additions by subtractions. And, you know, Jason Witten is such a fantastic player. He'll be in the Hall of Fame someday. But I think we all understand and agree how he was, you know, a step slower, just certainly a step older. That kind of obviously happens as you move on in life. And and Dez, I mean, if we're being honest, limited the Cowboys in terms of what they were able to do offensively. Dez is an incredible X receiver, but that's about it. And we never really saw the Cowboys utilize him in any other capacities. And it's, I think it's a psychological thing for Scott Linehan, Jason Garrett, even Dak to a degree. You have to use Dez. You know, if he's on your team, you have to use him. And if you don't, you feel ridiculous for not doing so. So when you put Dez out there, okay, he's your X, Terrence Williams is your Y, and Cole Beasley is your Z. And all of a sudden, that's just who you are all the time. And you can't change the fundamentals of that. So I think the fact that the Cowboys have so many diverse and different types of receivers and a diverse and different type of receivers coach in Sanjay Law really opens things up for Dak. And I think that Dak has the ability to really just kind of go with what he feels. And uh, to your point, his rookie season, that kind of worked out well for him. Yeah, absolutely. And part of getting Dak going, of course, is going to be the help of the running game. 
I thought uh, Ezekiel Elliott came into the season a little bit slow and then he started to catch fire before the suspension. How important is Ezekiel Elliott to this offense? And do you think he kind of gets back to his rookie form too? Well, I think he's paramount. I mean, the offense runs through Zeke. The offensive line is obviously uh, what it is, but it, it exacerbates what Zeke is able to do offensively. And then if Zeke is performing well, then Dak performs well and the defense performs well. But I think that he will get back to his rookie season. I think that we're already at a point where everybody feels more confident about Zeke. A year ago at this time, there was an incredible dark cloud hanging over Zeke and the Cowboys that as much as they tried, just wouldn't go away. Every week it was, you know, this or that or whatever. It was a constant game of adjusting and is he going to be available week one or week two, et cetera. So I feel like the fact that there is a known, you know, situation with him, that there aren't any uncontrollable variables that are, uh, at the hands of the NFL or whoever it may be is a huge weight off the Cowboys' shoulders. And so I feel like Zeke is a lot more mature uh, as a person, as a player, and I feel like that can only lead to good things. And part of that is the success of the offensive line helping him out. Uh, a year ago, you guys had to replace 1,800 snaps when Doug Free retired and Ronald, Ronald uh, Leary left. And then this year, you're dealing with some more issues with, unfortunately, uh, Travis Frederick with the autoimmune disease that, that he has. Uh, what's the status on him and how do you feel about the, uh, the offensive line as a whole? Well, I, I totally agree that obviously Doug Free's absence was a lot larger than people thought. And that's something that the Cowboys tried to replace with Lyle Collins, who I think did a great job. But, you know, it's first year at right tackle. It's a hard thing to do in the NFL. And you mentioned that Travis Frederick and his Guillain-Barre syndrome. I mean, it's, it's a thing that nobody <laughs> knows how to pronounce. Um, but Joe Looney's a, a serviceable center. And Joe Looney's a guy who Dak worked with a lot on second and third team his rookie year, obviously before he had become the starter through training camp and things like that. And so I'm not super worried about the drop-off there. Uh, I, I think that people were really in, in a dark place when Zach Martin was coming off that scary knee thing in the preseason against the Bengals. Tyron Smith's obviously a question mark uh, just because of who he is and what he's been through. But yeah, the Travis Frederick thing is, is scary. And it's scary when you consider the left guard spot for the Cowboys. Connor Williams is a rookie, and he's a rookie who hasn't looked incredible you know as Cowboys fans we thought okay Connor's going to come in everything's going to be great they're going to have just these five rock stars and Connor has taken a little bit longer to achieve that status than uh, than everybody else on that offensive line so I think that it's tempered confidence if that makes sense because mm. at the end of the day they're still the Dallas Cowboys absolutely and there, there's so there's questions uh, along the offense I would agree with you on your assessment of uh, of Dak and Zeke and, and the offensive line pretty much we've talked about it a lot here uh, at Bleeding Green Nation, moving over to the defense to see if they can maybe alleviate some of those questions and not make them so uh, impactful. There's some changes going on in that defense. You, you've got uh, Byron Jones switching to cornerback. It's a very young secondary that you guys drafted there heavily uh, in recent history. Then you also have to find a second guy to go along with Demarcus Lawrence for that pass rush. There was that rumor about dark clouds for Randy Gregory, who is their nickel pass rush specialist. Just kind of give an overview maybe from front to back of that defense and how you think they project into this season and maybe if they're in a better spot than last season. Well, you mentioned Randy Gregory. He might be the, the largest wild card of the Cowboys defense if he comes along and is a uh, strong force on the right side of the Cowboys defense, then that really helps them start cooking with gas to a degree. Rod Marinelli's made a living out of, you know, oh man, the mighty orphans and, and finding cast offs <laughs> and, and turning them into somebody's. But 
it'd be cool if he had a, somebody to start with. And so he's got Demarcus Lawrence, uh, you know, coming off 14 and a half sacks. And then you've got Randy Gregory. And it feels like Cowboys fans have discounted the potential, and I say that word lightly, return of David Irving after his four-game suspension. So, you know, you're talking about three out of four pass rushers if Randy Gregory does catch on that, that you're pretty excited about. I think that defensive line is actually a strength of the Cowboys. It's taken a long time to be able to feel that way. Uh, you know, obviously in the middle of the defense, you've got Sean Lee, and, and that's something to be incredibly excited about. But he does have his health concerns, and that's why the Cowboys drafted Leighton Vander Esch, who we really hmm. still haven't seen. And, and the defense feels like it's going to be really good, but we haven't gotten to see much of Vander Esch, so that's kind of exciting. But Jalen Smith is another player, and, and if Jalen – uh, mm-hmm. is is what is what the hype suggests that he is. You know, I, I still don't think that was a great pick just because of the risk associated with the 34th overall pick. But, I mean, if he turns out to be something great, I mean, hey, you're not going to complain. But Jalen does look incredible, and you really have to try really incredibly hard not to fall in love with the hype because he does look that great. And you mentioned the young secondary. While they are young, they have a great big brother in Chris Richard. Uh, the new secondary coach coming over from Seattle. And, you know, I was at a training camp for a week with ESPN San Antonio, and Chris Richard is just, I mean, a monster. I mean, he is – you know, there was one moment where a tipped pass went his way and he caught it, and he just ran it back. Uh, (laughs) He ran it back like it was no big deal. And and, and at a different point, uh, during seven-on-sevens, he stopped the drill and ran in to cover Jeff Swain. Uh, he he just has a tenacity about him that you really like and that's really been absent on the Cowboys coaching staff for a long time. And, you know, I think everybody recognizes that you want that in the secondary. And obviously the Cowboys have some question marks at the safety spot. Their old Thomas situation is one that's never going to go away. But but in Chris Richard's hands, I think you trust it. And overall, I think this secondary and this defense as a whole is going to be the story of the Cowboys' second-round picks. Demarcus Lawrence is a second-round pick. Can he do it again? Randy Gregory's a second-round pick. Can he show up? Jalen Smith's a second-round pick. Can he become that monster? Sean Lee's a second-round pick. Can he stay healthy? And Chidabe Awuze, you mentioned Byron Jones, mm-hmm. but Chido has the chance to really become the top corner for this team, especially under Chris Richard's guidance. I really like Cheeto and uh, any chance I can. I'm sure the uh, the BGN audience is tired of hearing me swooning over Jalen Smith because I was a huge fan of his. Um, you can't not like his comeback story no matter who he plays for. A uh, quick question. How did how did um, how did Chris Richard do against uh, Jeff Swain? Did he give up a reception? <laughs> you know, uh, Dak did not target <laughs> Jeff in that moment, oh. which, which I feel like. If I had been Jeff, I'd been like, bro, I, I had a coach on me. What do you do? You got to throw that. So uh, it was really cool uh, to see. He he got into a fight, too, with Lance Lenore, who's on the Cowboys practice. Squad. I mean, the guy is just unreal. It's, it's really cool to see. <laughs> Sounds awesome. OK, so we'll get to the big question here. Is Jason Garrett on the hot seat? You know, I mean, if you ask Jerry Jones, in fact, he said at the beginning of his tres- or training camp press conference, no, he's not. But I, I think you'd be a, a fool to not acknowledge that Jason Garrett is somebody whose job is at the very least incredibly interesting. Uh, I mean, you could argue that he has some excuses for, for the seasons that have really fallen apart, notably 2015 when Tony Romo was hurt. Uh, but last season, obviously, the the thing that really just sort of pulled the rug out from under the Cowboys was that game in Atlanta, the Chaz Green, Adrian Claiborne game and and people and it's really unfortunate what's happened to Chaz Green, but that was a self-induced, you know, just drama fest by the Cowboys. The Cowboys themselves kicked Chaz Green inside the left guard last year. It didn't work out. And then in a pinch when Tyron Smith was gone, they said, hey, Chaz, remember, remember that time you played left tackle? Uh, why don't you do that this week? And and then they just left him out there on an island. 
uh, no pun intended, and isolated him. And they were just unable to adapt, unable to answer depth issues. And, you know, it was the next week against, you know, your Eagles that the Cowboys got roundhouse. That I don't know mm. how how well aware Eagles fans are. That was the worst loss ever in AT&T Stadium's history uh, by a Cowboys <laughs> team. Uh, and it was the night Jerry got his Hall of Fame ceremony at halftime. I mean, it was it was uh, it was about as as just devastating as it could have possibly been uh, for the Cowboys. You know, there was a stretch uh, that was the middle of it. The Cowboys lost to the Falcons, the Eagles, and the Chargers, where they failed to break double digits. In, in all three games, offensively, they failed to score double-digit points. That was the first time in the history of the Dallas Cowboys that they went three consecutive games without breaking double digits in points. So they have just recently reached a incredible low that no other Cowboys team ever had. So, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that Jason Garrett has to answer because – you know, everybody else has answered at this point. Tony Romo has answered. Jason Witten has answered. Des Bryant has answered. Dan freaking Bailey has answered. <laughs> everybody has answered for the sins of the Dallas Cowboys. And at this point, you know, there was a big discussion about Garrett guys over the offseason. There are essentially only Jason Garrett left as far as the Garrett guys go. And so the onus has to be on him at this point. I love the way you're talking to me right now. Okay, big time <laughs> prediction coming. Where do the Dallas Cowboys land one through four in the NFC East? You know, at this point, it would be illogical to suggest that anybody but the Eagles win the NFC East just because, I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you're the reigning world champions, you are until you're not. And I'm a firm believer in, uh, you know, banging that drum. And so I think it's a cool thing in the world of sports how much you guys have relished that. And, and I offer my, my heartiest congratulations, by the way. Well, thank um, you. But, um, you know, because it, you won the Super Bowl. You should be able to say that every moment of every day. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but uh, so b- before that, you won the NFCs. And so I think the Eagles winning the NFCs feels fair. I just am not at all – I'm not at all worried about the Redskins or the Giants to a degree that really, you know, terrifies me. And so I feel like right now uh, my backup against the wall, I'd say the Cowboys finished second in the division – are uh, are playing around with a wild card spot. I don't know that they earn one, but I do know in my heart of hearts, I believe that when we're all doing our Christmas shopping, the Cowboys will be in the thick of it. Uh, I think you have uh, the predictions the same exact way as I have them. So I do expect Dallas to be in contention there, and we'll see if they're on the outside looking in when the playoffs come around. RJ, it has been uh, fantastic. Would you remind, uh, now that the listeners are all warmed up to you, and I think they <laughs> uh, they like you now because you, you, you put that olive branch out there, let them know where they can follow all your work. Well, obviously, you can check out uh, the premier SB Nation blog at blogontheboys.com. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RJ Ochoa. That's a great hub for, uh, for everything that I do. Excellent. Thank you, RJ. Thanks a lot, man. And joining me right now is Ed Valentine. He is the managing editor for Big Blue View. Also does podcasts with the uh, Locked On Giants from the Locked On Network. Ed, how you doing, brother? I'm good, Michael. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. Let's jump right into this thing. We need to say the unit address for the the Giants overall, but first we're going to start with the offense. And look, there's been tons of talk in the offseason, tons of speculation about what you guys should have done with the number two overall pick. It's done. It's been beaten to death. Let's deal within the parameters of what the reality is for the Giants right now. So for me, the skill the skilled players aren't the question. Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, those are all fantastic pieces. You've got Eli Manning there, and then the concerning part for me is the offensive line. You bring in Nate Solder on a big deal. You draft Will Hernandez. I still think there's a lot of question marks there. The main question that I have 
is can this offensive line sustain this throughout the season and allow those skilled players to thrive like they should? Oh, man, you've got a a more realistic perspective on this whole deal than the Giants fan base does. I got (laughs) to give you that. I mean, I am still dealing with people who just can't get over the fact that the Giants that the Giants cut Davis Webb. You know, (laughs) I I may deal with that for the next four years. But but anyway, I mean, the reality of it is, you know, whatever anybody thinks about it. You know, the Giants went all in on Eli Manning. Dave Gettleman, the general manager, has, you know, he has allegiance to Eli. He still believes in Eli. And you're absolutely right. The question mark is whether this offensive line will give them the opportunity, will give Eli Manning the opportunity to use the weapons. I mean, we know how good a player Odell Beckham is. We know how good a player Saquon Barkley could be. Teams that have played against the Giants understand how good Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram are. And what I'm looking forward to is is watching Eli Manning at the line of scrimmage figure out where the mismatches are and deliver the ball to whichever one of those wide receivers has the mismatch or guys are playing soft, you know, turning around and handing the ball to Saquon Barkley. The question obviously comes down to that offensive line. It was terrible last year. It was terrible the year before. Jerry Reese didn't do a good job identifying offensive linemen. And then the last couple of years, he just seemed to sort of give up and say, well, I've tried everything I can. I'm just going to draft skill guys and defensive guys. And we'll just scheme around the fact that we have an offensive line that stinks. That's that's a big problem, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, obviously that doesn't work. You know, when A, you have a quarterback who doesn't move well, and B, you negate one of the things that he does well, which is run play action, you know, and, and go through his reads and, and deliver the ball down the field by by putting him in a situation where I call what, what Eli Manning had to do the last couple of years, I call it catch and release quarterbacking. It was catch the snap, throw the ball to the first available Giants jersey that he saw before somebody killed him. Yeah, and his time to throw over the last five years has gotten quicker and quicker and quicker. So he is doing a lot of those hit and throws. What do you expect from the run game? Because the run game has been a problem, and not only the offensive line with the passing game, but can they do enough for Saquon Barkley to show off that elite talent that he has? Well, interestingly, the guys that they brought in, Nate Solder, Patrick Omame, Will Hernandez, the second round pick, who I like a lot, I think is going to be a really, really good player. Uh, Even choosing John Jalapio as their starting center and trading Brett Jones to Minnesota, that almost seemed like it had as much to do, if not more, with getting a run game going again, which they haven't had a reliable one now for several years. Obviously, you know, Barkley's an, an incredible talent. But incredible talent or not, you're not going to have a run game if you're getting a hit in the backfield all the time. Hmm. I, you know, and obviously, I just think this offensive line, you know, going back to that, it's different. I look at it like you want to take the optimistic view. Nate Solder is a better left tackle than Eric Flowers. Right. Eric Flowers is a better right tackle than Bobby Hart or Chad Wheeler. Hmm. So even though he may not be good, he's better than what they ran out there last year. So if the middle of that line is adequate, you know, then I think they've upgraded and they give themselves a better chance, you know, but, but for me, that's, that's where it is. If that offensive line is, is at least adequate 
and gives the Giants a chance. I think they can score a ton of points. Yeah, with the skill possession players that they have, like we talked about, that's that's definitely the case. They just need to hold up uh, just well enough. And switching over to the defensive side, let's take a look at what they can do to help the offense not have to score, uh, you know, a plethora of points to be able to stay in games. My concerns, and it, and it's really on all three levels because the depth for me isn't there. The pass rush. Olivier Vernon has been dealing with a bit of a knock. And then on the other side, you know, you've got guys like Kareem Martin that you brought in, but he doesn't have a proven track record. Are they going to be able to get to the quarterback and kind of alleviate some of the pressure on this secondary? You're killing me. Why don't you write for me? Because (laughs) because you keep you keep pegging this stuff. And it's funny because I wrote this this morning at Big Blue View and I've written it before. There's a, a distinct possibility that to win football games, the Giants are going to have to win them all 38 to 35. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's a scary thought for a team that hasn't crossed the 30 point barrier, you know, since Tom Coughlin's last game as head coach. You know, the, 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 the reality is they have a few really good players, you know, potentially. I mean, they have Olivier Vernon, who's a very good player. You know, I think sometimes doesn't get enough credit for how good a player he is simply because he doesn't put up the humongous sack numbers. Landon Collins, to me, is as good a safety as anybody in the league. Hmm. Janoris Jenkins, when he's right, is a very good cornerback. Nobody in the league plays the run as well as Damon Harrison from the nose tackle position. But absolutely, you know, where is the pass rush going to come from if it doesn't come from Vernon, is it going to have to come from James Betcher, you know, the new defensive coordinator scheming it up, which is something that that he's kind of famous for. You know, the only problem is when you scheme it up and you you move guys around and you send extra guys or you send guys who who aren't used to rushing and you drop guys who aren't used to covering back into coverage. You you create holes. You leave yourself with problems if you don't get there. Uh, so, I mean, I look at that and that's going to be a problem if they can't get to the passer, the depth at corner is going to be a problem. I'm not sure about the free safety situation. They're going to start the season with Curtis Riley played two years in Tennessee as a reserve, mostly at corner playing the free safety spot. So can James Betcher pull a rabbit out of a hat? I mean, that's that's the, the question that I have, because I'm just not sure that they have enough talent on defense yet. Yeah, and James Betcher is going to have to get home, and he does like those blitz packages that the problem for for the Giants, especially in the secondary, is last year uh, they were tied for third in plays of uh, 40 yards or more allowed. They were, tie- they were tied for first and touchdowns allowed of over 40-plus yards through the air, and that's a defense that ranked 31st in passing yards allowed per game. 27th in yards per attempt allowed and Eli Apple is coming back as a starter like you said Janoris Jenkins Jackrabbit is a fantastic player especially when he's right because he likes to gamble what makes gambling easier for him if is if that pass rush is there how do you think because Eli for me is a big concern and you saw it in week three against the Jets Robbie Anderson kind of uh, worked him over in that first drive a little bit do you think that throughout the season even with the depth concerns and Eli starting on the outside that this secondary can hold up well, let's let's start with Eli Apple. And, you know, to be honest with you, Eli Apple was a disaster a year ago. And, and, and much of that had to do with his attitude. I mean, we know about his arguments in the locker room with Landon Collins and, you know, getting suspended for arguing with a coach and having situations where he almost bolted the team because his effort was questioned. 
you know, by coaches and players. But to his credit, Eli Apple has been much different this spring and summer. He's been cooperative. He's been happy. He's been involved with his teammates. Pat Shermer keeps saying that he's been professional. And I think, you know, that's a good beginning for Eli Apple. The question is, all right, he's been professional. He's doing his job. Now the question becomes, how good a player is he? Because I can tell you, even though teams don't necessarily game plan in the preseason, I can tell you that it's really obvious teams are staying away from Janoris Jenkins and they're targeting Eli Apple. So he's going to have to hold up. So taking in all those factors, looking at the offensive concerns with the offensive line, looking at the defense with the pass rush and, and the, uh, the cornerback situation there, how do you see as far as the NFC East stacks up between the Eagles, Redskins, Cowboys, and the Giants? Where do you see the Giants finishing in that division? Give your prediction. Well, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be stupid here and I'm not going to be a homer <laughs> and, and I'm not going to give you that whole you know, that whole Giants are better than the Eagles thing. Look, the Eagles are the defending Super Bowl champion. There's a reason. They're very good. I know that Giants fans, you know, don't want to admit it, but that's the case. It would be shocking to me at this point if the Eagles don't win the division. My take on the Giants, you know, from the beginning, the way that they've done this, my take on the Giants is they need to be a playoff team. Because they've gone all in on Eli Manning. They've pushed the decision on a future quarterback, you know, to the back burner. I've said they've kicked the can down the road a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, they passed on Sam Darnold. They've gone all in on Eli because they think they can still win with him. So now they need to win with him. Mm -hmm. I look at this team, and this team could go anywhere from anywhere from six and ten to 11 and five. I mean, they've got a brutal schedule, Yeah, but I feel good. I feel good about this team. I think this team, if everything plays out the way I think it's going to play out, I think they're the second best team in the NFC East. And I think in week 16 and 17, I think they'll be right in the hunt for a wild card spot. I can't tell you right now if they're going to get it, but I think they should be right in the hunt as the season winds to a close. Yeah, and that's a great point about the schedule. The NFC East, according to Warren Sharp of Sharp Football, he has a formula that brings in all these Vegas odds and win projections and whatnot that I find more reliable than just going off last year's record. The NFC East has the toughest schedule out of any division projected coming into the season. So you could see a lot of variance there and you could see some surprising things happen. And if the Giants are in the hunt at the end of the season, then we got ourselves uh, something to talk about. But uh, Ed, I look forward to talking to you throughout the season. Thank you for joining me today. Would you remind the listeners where they can find all your work? At Big Blue View on Twitter. And uh, if you uh, want a good Giants podcast, it's uh, Locked On Giants. Excellent. Thank you, Ed. All right, joining me today is Ken Marangolo, the managing editor over at Hogs Haven, the SB Nation Washington Redskins site. He also is the producer and host of The Audible, which is the Hogs Haven uh, podcast for the Redskins. Ken, thank you for joining me today. Mike, it's a pleasure, my friend. So digging right into it, uh, obviously right off the top, just to give a preview of how this Redskins team is going to look, all things run through the quarterback for you guys. You guys are going through the switch from Kirk Cousins. You made a deal for Alex Smith. How do you expect the offense to look different, and what are the expectations as far as the level of productivity that, that Alex Smith can provide to this offense? I mean, I, I, would, I would have been okay if they had made the long-term decision to keep Kirk Cousins. 
Um, but they didn't. And to me, you know, Alex Smith, he's not, you know, he's not coming in here as like the savior by any stretch. But I, I think he's got a little bit of a higher ceiling um, in Jay Gruden's offense. And I think part of that just comes from his experience in the league. Um, I always talk about the Gruden philosophy or Gruden ideology, um, of which Jay is certainly a part of, um, from his brother and from the fire football coaches uh, down there in, uh, in Southern Florida. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely an ideology. And I think uh, when you get a more seasoned uh, calculator, um, in the brain uh, from, from the experience. I mean, I think that's what the offense, that's what that, I think that um, scheme uh, benefits most from. So you got Alex Smith. His eyes have just seen more than Kirk Cousins have. He's probably a, a little bit more athletic than Kirk Cousins, although Kirk certainly is, is an athletic individual. So I, I envision the incremental benefit of having Alex Smith, I think, will come to bear, hopefully, in third and short situations. Although, if we're being honest, you know, his record in Kansas City, uh, not, not the greatest there. Um, I think Alex Smith, obviously, he works best with the running game. We lost our number one guy, Darius Geis. But I just think that Jay Gruden is is, is going to scheme um, to benefit Alex Smith. And the two words that define Alex Smith in a way that maybe didn't Kirk Cousins, and you hear football players say it, is dirty tough. Um, he, he's respected in the locker room in a way that's different than Kirk Cousins was. It's not like people disliked Kirk, but people respond to Alex. Yeah. Um, league wide, even you know, in a way that people don't to Kirk, and, and I think you're gonna, I think there's benefits to that on Sundays for sure. So, speak, you you touched on the the run game and what happened with Darius Geis, who unfortunately tore his uh, ACL in the uh, in the preseason, mm-hmm. and I was huge on Darius Geis. People that know me here at Bleeding Green Nation know that I was a big uh, Geis fan. How do you supplant what he was expected to give you guys in the run game? So. You know, he was the most talented guy, uh, you know, the most talented all-around running back that we had uh, when he was healthy. So you don't really replace that, you know, in a month or so. I think for the Redskins, Chris Thompson um, was always going to be an integral part of the offense. I've called him the machine, you know, the powers, uh, the Redskins offense for the last couple of years. I think that's been true, when he, especially when he's been healthy. Um, what happened last year when we started losing guys is they started trying to hand it off to him in more traditional running situations, uh, which is not good for a player of his size. Uh, but he's just, he has the trust. He has the trust of the offensive coaches. And whether Geis was healthy or not, Chris Thompson was always going to get his share of touches. So first and foremost, Chris Thompson has to produce. He has to be not just a third round back, but he, he's got to be able to come in, catch the ball out of the backfield, take a few runs that the defense might not be expecting and produce at a high level, which which he has done uh, in the past. Hey, we signed Adrian Peterson. Uh, I like to I like to say you know our kicker, long snapper, and punter are all making more money than than uh, AD, and I think that's an interesting fact for Redskins fans to dwell on because we've overpaid veterans um, <laughs> at an alarming clip uh, in the last 15, 20 years. He looks healthy. He's motivated, and I, I think it's interesting that he'll – I think he'll get the ball on first down for the Redskins. I think he'll be productive. Um, but, you know, he's, he's got he's to uh, work with Rob Kelly and Samaje Piran, you know, to get yards on first and second down. I mean, they've got to, to avoid third and long situations. The, the run game will succeed best if Peterson uh, can, can get those four and a half yards per carry. And for NFC East fans out there – He's on the cusp of, of hitting some cool numbers, career-wide numbers, and I think that's always cool for a fan base. But one of those numbers is Tony Dorsett's. Mm. And I think if Adrian Peterson gets 990 yards, something like that, this season, which I 
I think we can all agree um, would be would be a hell of a thing for for him to do. Um, he'll pass Tony Dorsett on the all time list, and I think that to me that's the goal as a Redskins fan that I'm latching onto with this guy. Let him pass Tony Dorsett in the Redskins jersey. That would be awesome. Yeah, and it'll be fun to see how that all pans out. Switching over to the defensive side of the ball, just to kind of get a general overview. Uh, part of the Alex Smith deal was moving on from nickel cornerback Kyle Fuller or Kendall Fuller, who played fantastic for you guys last year. Uh, obviously, you have the Eagles killer Ryan Kerrigan, who is always a thorn in our side. Just an overview from the defense. Do you feel that they're in a better position to succeed this year than last year? Yes, because they're younger and I think more talented. I mean, uh, losing Kendall Fuller sucked, and I think we, we harped on it a lot and thought maybe it was an excessive price to pay for Alex Smith. The only thing I'll say about that is Redskins made an early move on Alex Smith. So uh, in order to lock it down, I think that's what it cost. Mm. Redskins have three rookies, uh, three rookie quarterbacks um, that they like, and then they have Fabian Moreau who's coming into his second year. They've drafted – uh, almost better than any other position they've drafted cornerbacks um, halfway decently. Um, so I'm going to miss Kendall Fuller, and, and I think um, he's going to you know he's going to get a lot of shine in Kansas City, and we'll see how well he does. Uh, but for the Redskins on the outside, you still have Josh Norman locking down one side. I think he is still very very above average at, at, at worst um, corner, and I, I think they're going to get it done um, with these other guys. We're, we're a little longer and faster um, than we've been at, at corner and safety for that matter. You know, as much as we harp on Geis and losing a guy like Geis, um, we still have our number one draft pick. In fact, we have both of our number one draft picks from the last two years playing next to each other in the middle of the defensive line. And as unsexy as defensive linemen maybe are <laughs> to most NFL fans, they're monsters. Yeah. And and you can't be good in the National Football League without a good defensive line. I mean, hell, Philadelphia Eagles fans know that as well as anyone. And Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne are beasts, and they are looking pretty damn healthy. And if they're going and if they're working well together, I think that changes everything for the Redskins' defense. And, 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 they, and they're talented. They're loaded up on talent between those two guys. That, to me, is the, is the, is the game changer. That, that amount of talent and size and strength in the middle of the defensive line, that's what you need. And, and for the first time, the Redskins have it in a long time. Okay, big question here. Is Jay Gruden on the hot seat this year? It's a, it is a, it's a, it's an interesting question because he's the first coach Dan Snyder has ever extended a second contract to, hmm. um, which is crazy. Um, so, it, you know, the easy answer to your question is, yeah, every coach that's ever, you know, coached for Dan Snyder has lived on the hot seat. The guy <laughs> hasn't, you know, it's like a parade, uh, uh, you know, revolving door of, of, of people. I've called this the year of Jay Gruden. I think Jay Gruden is a is a good coach. I really do. Um, like I said, I believe in that ideology. I think you know you're going to start seeing coaches coming out of this tree. We've already seen McVeigh. I just think that I think he's very, he's he's good, and I think players respond to him, and I think his scheme works. And I think the Redskins have gotten younger um, this year. In fact, they they went deliberately younger uh, with, the, with some of the cuts um, and, and keeps that they made over the weekend. So I'll say no just to just to so I'm, I take a stand. I'll say he's not on the hot seat because I, I think that this team is, is is for the first time establishing a young athletic foundation that we really haven't, even under like previous coaches. So I think he's going to get a little bit of a leash. I mean, if they go 2-14 and 14 or 3-13 and 13 and, and this year is just terrible and it's not because of injuries and there's just drama, uh, the likes of which you know the Redskins are just famous for, 
And yeah, you know, I could see them making that change because they've done it before. They have a history of of using the head coach uh, head coaching change to kind of sell, you know, a change uh, to the fans. But uh, to me, I think Jay Gruden is is not on the hot seat. I think he's going to be just fine. I think, um, you know, it would take a lot for him to to be fired. Um, but Mike, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's like the sixth or seventh best odds to be uh, replaced right. um, in Vegas. So there's something to it. I can tell you that, <laughs> but I, I mean, I don't, I don't see it. Yeah. Uh, last, last question here, a quick one. Where do you project the Redskins to finish in the NFC East one through four? All right. So this is when the NFC East gets such a laugh at, as a Redskins fan, which is certainly they're right. <laughs> I, I don't believe in Dallas. I, I just don't. I think that there's something going on there that's beneath the surface. That's the team that I think is going to implode out of the NFC East. So I'm going to put us above them. Eli Manning is just the most boring slash solid player that I have had to watch forever. And it makes me sad to watch him play. But somehow, some way, they seem to, to get it done. And I think that they might end up being um, you know up there. I'm going to say... I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the Redskins finish second in the NFC okay. East, and my weak answer would be second behind either New York or Philadelphia. I'll give Philadelphia the nod since they are defending champions. I don't think you know you guys are too concerned about Foles being your starter. To me, at some point, like the story of Carson Wentz ha- might have a chance to bleed into the psyche of that team because you know he's still not clear to, to for, for contact. Uh, you're still kind of wondering and. That kind of thing starts wearing on athletes, these professional athletes, and maybe that has a way of of, of getting in the way uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles in, in their defense of the title. Um, but until you know, we're firm believers here that you know uh, you got to dethrone the champs. So we'll give them their due, and I'll, I'll take a second place wild card finish for for the Washington Redskins. Don't disagree with anything you said there. He is Ken Marangolo from Hogs Haven. Uh, Ken, let the listeners know where they can find all your work again. Check us out over at Hogs Haven. I'm on Twitter uh, at It's Raining Ken, um, and we are producing gas of DC sports. Mike, we 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 think DC is a great sports town. Yeah. And over at First First Amendment Sports, we tell that story on a daily basis. Um, check us out. Um, but but tune into Hogs Haven if if you want to. Get a little rose-colored glasses view uh, every once in a while of things in burgundy and gold. Maybe burgundy and gold shaded glasses. Mike, how about that? <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Ken. Big thank you goes out to RJ Ochoa, Ed Valentine, and Ken Marangolo for joining me to make this SB Nation NFC East Supercast possible. Some great insight there. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, rate, review, five stars, baby. Help us bring this content to more listeners and show your love for Bleeding Green Nation because at the end of the day, we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.